Hey, let's pray together. Dear Lord, help us to live the words of that song, to awake, wake us up. I pray, pray for our youth, dear Lord, that uh, whether you use us, whether you use others, or just the, the full power of your Holy Spirit, wake, wake our youth and our youth culture up that they would seek you. Uh, they would know you as a, a good and loving father. They would know you as a God who's paving the way for them in their future. Awake us to the needs of our youth. Dear Lord, awake us as awake us to be brothers and sisters in Christ. If we call ourselves by your name, that we would see past um, even uh, family lines or interests or affinities. Uh, or colors, or even language, or tribes, or nations that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Grow that spirit here by your spirit. Uh, awake us as adults that are, are chasing, or are, are running, uh, and never resting uh, in you. Uh, awake us to be rested uh, in your power. And that we just... Uh, would cease from climbing and striving and, and know that you, you do hold us in your hand and, and we can rest. And it, it's not going to like halt our, our neighborhood or our city or our world or our families, that we can rest in you. Awake us that we have life in Christ. In him there is only life and we have the Holy Spirit here right now uh, speaking to us and praying for us and we would both listen and rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. You can have a seat. And if you would, take your Bible and turn to Exodus, towards the front of your Bible, Exodus chapter 2. We're going to be in Exodus 2, but I have a couple other verses for you all that will be up on the screen, Exodus 2. So those of you all who don't know, and those of you all who do, you need to hear it again, and you will hear it again. Our, Our theme throughout this entire year is called Rise with God, uh, which in essence is trying to get all of us, uh, myself, our staff, our volunteers, you, a visitor, each and every Sunday and all year long to grow closer with God in our walk, in our personal relationship. Uh, Yet the question that I ask myself, and I know many of y'all ask, is well, how do we like really get close to God? Uh, how, do we, how do we draw closer to Him uh, in our lives? And, and often I've seen, uh, you know, it's not something that, that I will say to you or maybe another preacher will say to you uh, or even like a small group leader will say to you. Often we draw closer to God when we see some we, we admire who is close to God. I know in my life I have seen... Uh, not just mentors, but friends, and they have a strong relationship with God. And I'm like, I want to be like him, or even I want to be like her. And so, so what are they doing? What do they have? And I'll try to look, or I'll ask, and because I see a witness, I see another person's life, uh, that often helps me more than what someone says or, or what I read. So, that is great, and now I'm going to say some things to y'all, and that, uh, that's good stuff. But we want to look at a life. 
uh, a life who is close to God, Moses. And so we are doing a series called Face to Face uh, because Scripture tells us that Moses knew God face to face. Deuteronomy 34.10 says there's never been a prophet like Moses who knew God face to face. Face to face. And so we'll be talking today and next week we're actually doing a talk on calling that we're all called. And then the week after we're doing a talk on rest. On rest. And some of you are like, man, can you do like uh, a 10-week series on rest? And we might. We might. We'll see. But we're looking at Moses, someone who the the Bible claims knew God face to face. But what's interesting is Scripture says that, but then Scripture also says, I'm going to read a passage to you. It won't be up on screen, but Exodus 33, uh, 20 through 23, essentially says that Moses asked God, uh, to see his face. And God said, no, you can't or you'll die. And God put him in a cleft in the rock and said, but you can see my back. And God passed in front of Moses where Moses saw the back of God, but did not see his face. But yet scripture still says, like Deuteronomy 34.10, that Moses knew God uh, face to face, which I've always, I've always found that interesting. He knew God personally, and I believe in this deep level Uh, that all of us want. So today we're going to look at what Moses had, what he had, and what we have today. Because the truth is, we, you may not know it, but we have so much more than Moses had. We have so much more than he had at our fingertips, if you want it, if you want to take it. So let's look at Exodus 2, and I'm, I'm pretty much going to read through the entire chapter, but I'm going to stop at different points. Exodus 2, beginning with uh, verse 1. So read with me. It says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes, daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Stop right there. Familiar story. Uh, Those of us raised in church know about Moses in the basket, in the water. But there's some things that we can take uh, out of this in terms of what Moses had and also what we have. Uh, First off, uh, Moses had a legacy, which this is interesting. And we all have legacies. We all have histories. But uh, watch this. And we're going to pick it up later in verse 2. But... 
you know, the Bible, I always say there are no accidents in Christianity. There are no accidents in the Bible. There's nothing random in the Bible. Like, it's not just, you know, we'll just throw in a random verse. But uh, it all has meaning for our lives. In verse 1, from the house of Levi. I was like, why don't you just throw that in? I mean, what, okay, Levi, you know, but why is that important? Well, what's interesting is what Moses does later in chapter 2, as we'll see, and look at his legacy. Look at his ancestry. Look at what he has. Back in Genesis, you don't have to turn, I'll read it for you. Genesis 49, if you want to, it's just one page. Genesis 49, verse 8. This is Jacob talking about his sons, okay? And he talks about Levi. Moses came from Levi. Says verse 5, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not into let my soul come not into their counsel. O oh, my glory, be not joined to their company, for in their anger they killed men. In their anger they killed men. So what's interesting, as Exodus begins, we see the life of Moses in this first verse. Points back to Levi. What happened to Levi? What did he do? He killed men. He had an anger issue. Anybody got issues with anger? You don't have to raise your hand. But uh, that can be an issue for all of us. All of us have anger. Moses acts on his anger. But more importantly, Moses doesn't just have a legacy. He's got a destiny. Because the end of this passage, they gave him a name. Moses. Because he was brought forth out of the water. Sound familiar? Does that... uh, bear allusion to anything, like anything we did last week, took him out of the water, a baptism, an anointing. What we see in these first few verses about Moses, he had a legacy and he had a destiny. And his legacy doesn't necessarily influence the full course of his destiny. It will in some parts. But your destiny, you need to hear this, is much more important than your legacy. Your anointing is much more important than your history. We all have a history. We all got a legacy. We all got an ancestry. We've all got, we all got family members who are like, man, why did you put me with him or her? You know, hopefully it's not close. Often it is. Often it is. You're like, why am I descended from them? You know, no offense, all you families gathered here, but we, we will ask that sometimes. There are no accidents in Christianity. We all have a history, we all have a legacy, and what happens is God uses that and turns it around for good for our calling, our anointing, our destiny. So, what I want you to know, those of you who have been drawn forth from the water, have been baptized in Jesus. God's going to use your history. God's going to use your destiny for your legacy, for your destiny. Sorry there. He's going to use your legacy for your destiny. You need to know that. I mean, you need to really know that. Because I I talk to so many people who, like, have family problems and issues and question. God will use that for your future and for his kingdom. And if you have not been baptized, if you are not a Christian, this is what Scripture tells us as we move on, is that God uses all the things in our lives for his purpose, for his glory. Let's read on, 11. See what else Moses has and what we have as well. Verse 11, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out 
to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled their troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Rule, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah, She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Some things here that Moses had, some things here that we have. First off, Moses has this sense of right and wrong. He sees a Hebrew being beaten by an Egyptian, and he's like, this isn't right. And Moses, by the way, he's like the classic hero from a blended family. He's Hebrew. Adopted into an Egyptian family. But he sees one of his, his brothers being beaten. And he has this, this moral compass, this sense of right and wrong. We have that too. Whether you claim Christ or not, we, we know right and wrong. Moses also had anger here. Go back to Levi. He got angry. And anger is, is very common. Not just like in a problematic way, in a human emotion way. Paul said, uh, be angry yet do not sin. Be angry yet do not sin. And see, what happens is often fear can turn righteous anger into sinful anger. And sinful anger will only lead to more fear and more sinful anger. And it just spirals out of control. Let me say that again. Righteous anger is something that, that all of us have. And when we see things are wrong, we're like, that's not Right? And we can get angry about it. We can pray about it. We can act in a godly way. Actually, the Bible goes through a process of how to handle conflict. But often what happens, our righteous anger, fear, as in like, well, i got to control things, or, or obviously it's going to go into chaos, you know, that God might not be able to work without me or without us. Fear turns righteous anger into sinful anger. And that sinful anger just causes more fear, as it did for Moses. He was afraid. I mean, he was afraid that, you know, this was wrong, that God wouldn't work, that God wouldn't act. He was like, you know, i got to do something or nobody else will. So his righteous anger got turned into sinful anger, and he killed a man. Back to Levi, anger problem, murderer, Moses. Let me say this loud and clear. We think of Moses was a murderer. So was David, by the way. So was Paul, by the way. Great role models that God used for his glory, purpose, and kingdom and for us to look to them. So Moses was a murderer. He had fear, turned into sinful anger, and then it 
grew to more fear, and he, he fled. He fled. He ran away. He ran away. So for us, these are some things that we have. We have fear. I know all you dudes are courageous, but we got fear in our lives. We got anger. Hopefully it doesn't uh, grow into sinful anger, and, and often we hide. And, and we, just, we just hide. And so Moses ran. But then we see that Moses also had, just in these couple of verses, he had courage. He stood up, protected uh, these women. He had kindness. Not only did he defend them, but then he was kind to them. Men, dudes, all of us, take note. Valentine's Day is coming. Courage and kindness. It's not just protect and provide. It is uh, be kind, right? Amen? Amen? Be kind. Coming up. Had courage. He had kindness. And at the end, and it's almost like this is what Moses saw all his life, he has contentment. He's content. Uh, no longer does he have the wealth and power and status of being in the high ranks of Egyptian nobility. Uh, he's a shepherd out uh, in the wilderness in a, a barren, desolate land. He's content. He's got a family. It's almost like Moses is like, man, you know, finally I'm free. I can just live my life in peace. And yet God has other plans. And, and that's so often like our life too. That we're like, man, finally I'm just content and God will push us further for his kingdom. But the last thing that Moses had, and he doesn't even know he's got it yet, and the last thing that I'd say that we have right now from Scripture that some of you don't even know you have, is he had God. So the last couple of verses of this chapter, verse 23, it says, During those days the king of Egypt died. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. See, Moses didn't even know that God was already at work. Moses didn't know that God was paving the way. Moses didn't even know that God goes before, just as some of you don't know that God's already got this deal for your life that you can't see yet. But you can be assured we have a God who sees, who remembers, who knows, who hears. So for us, that's what Moses had. How do we have more than Moses? How do we even have more than this passage uh, that I just read? How do you have more than Moses? Because I'll talk to folks, I mean, and people have literally said to me, hey, you know, your mission statement's raising leaders. Hey, I ain't no leader for Christ, okay? I mean, I'll come regularly, but like, you know, leader for Christ and blankety-blank name, no equation, all right? Well, I mean, God may have other plans first. But that's for him to do and not me to say. But God has given all of us so much more uh, than Moses had. You have a lot more than Moses, and you can be more than Moses. You're like, how? I mean, it's Moses, me, my life. Well, first off, we have Jesus. Moses didn't have Jesus. Like, we can literally see God in Jesus. I mean, there is a shared history we have as a church that began with Jesus. He's a historical man. He died. He rose again. We can see God, and we can see Him face to face, truly, fully. John 
It should be up on screen, but look at this. John 1.18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made Him known. We have Jesus. Just right there, you have a lot more than Moses. We can see God. Now, some of you would say, well, that's great. I can see God. Good deal. But my problem is is that God sees me. My problem is that God sees me and my history, my legacy, uh, what I actually don't have. And you may say that is like, I don't have proper upbringing. You know, I'm not from good people. Or maybe you're like, I am from good people and I've just messed it all up in my sin. No, you can say, Pastor, I didn't murder, but yeah, uh, big time issue with like uh, greed or lust uh, or addiction or, or maybe pride. And if it's pride, you're probably not thinking anything's wrong right now. And so I'd say, well, just check your pride. Okay. But so we got these issues. He's like, he sees me. And if you got pride, you're like, he doesn't see me. He's, I'm good. But anyway, so pride might be an issue for you. So you're like, he sees me. Well, the thing about Jesus is not only in Jesus do we see God, but in Jesus, God sees Jesus and not us. Now, I say that again. In Jesus, we see God. And in Jesus, God doesn't just see us. He sees Jesus when we're his. Look at this, Colossians, Colossians 3, verse 3. For you have died, look at this, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's a powerful word, hidden. What Paul is saying there is that when you're a believer, so when you've died, not only do you rise again out of baptism, out of the water, not only do you have a call, uh, not only is, is your security secure in heaven, but your past and maybe your present is like this morning or right now your thoughts is hidden and God sees Jesus. That's powerful for us that you don't have to walk in your sin or in your shame and that your sins are covered, literally covered, and they're hidden. Jesus hides them. And so when Jesus sees, when God sees us, he doesn't see that. He, he sees Jesus has done for you on the cross. We can see God in Jesus. In Jesus, when we have him, God sees Jesus covering our sins. And the last thing we have that Moses did not have, it still goes back to Jesus, is that he offers us an invitation. An invitation. Look at this, Revelation 3.20. Revelation 3.20. These are the words of Jesus. After he is risen again, as he's showing John or about to show John what will happen in his future and Lord willing, our future. But Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, what is interesting about this verse is it's just about always used for like evangelism and salvation and saying, Jesus is the door, he's knocking, will you open the door, will you receive Christ, invite him into your heart and your life, and you will be saved. And that is all true, and that is all what you want. It means something more as well. 
And this is fascinating, or at least it's fascinating to me. So in this time period, as John was writing, in Greek, in the Mediterranean, a, a knock at the door, this invitation, uh, also meant like, hey, I, I want to come and like, you know, eat with you. And, and Jesus is inviting us not only for salvation, but into this intimate, personal relationship. Because when you ate in those times with someone, I mean, it's not like, you know, you know the 30-minute the uh, lunch, you know, trying to, trying to get it done and get the... Fa- I mean, it was like, a, you know, it's a lot bigger deal for folks to dine with someone. So Jesus doesn't just want to save us. He does, but He wants to, like, be in relationship with us, be in connection with us. He wants us to know Him in an intimate, personal way. And that's so much more than what Moses had. We don't just see God in Jesus. He not only covers us, we have this access to Him as a brother, as an elder brother, as somebody who wants to be right here with us, right there with you. And we can do that. You're like, well, how do you do it? How do you do it? Simple word. Prayer, for starters. Prayer, I read a quote this week. It was from Tim Keller. It's like, you know, we spend so much time Facebook, tweeting, Instagram, and we hardly have enough time for prayer. Amen. Hey, look, I'm guilty as charged there, okay? Pray. But here's the thing. So often, me uh, and some of us, you know, we we know prayer is like, okay, uh, my life is on on the skids, in the dump, I pray, okay? Uh, my, my marriage is in shambles, you know, I pray. You know, there's the old joke, uh, we used to say it, you know, not just like in staff, everybody, you know. Like sometimes we do, you know, a call for prayer, and, and if one spouse came up, people say, man, what's going on in there? You know, that, that marriage, you know, stuff's probably hitting the fan. You know, we always, we think that, you know? I mean, gossip central, not just Jackson, but it's our, our human nature to pray. And so we think, you know, we pray when things are going bad and when we need God. Prayer is so much more. And so what I encourage you, really this, this sermon is kind of about prayer, talk about what, what we have that Moses didn't. We have this opportunity for a relationship with God and we can begin and grow it in prayer. So four things your prayer life should have. And I'm working this on mine because a couple months ago I didn't have all four. My wife reminded me. So anyway, but here are, okay, not, not that great of a joke, but she did remind me, <laughs> truth be known. I mean, truth be known, she did remind me. She's like, you know, you need to, and I, I've been reading a lot on prayer. Four things, okay? Adoration, write this down, please. Or act like you're writing it down. Adoration. I'm going to say them quickly and then I'll break into them in our remaining time. Adoration. Confession, thanksgiving, petition. You're like, kind of lofty, big words. Look, it's real simple. Adoration is just saying, you are God. You are God. Uh, you're, you're grand, you're mighty, you're powerful, you're the creator of the universe, you're the creator of my life. You know me in every way. You know everybody in every way. You're God. Adoration, love, worship. That's what our worship team leads us to adoration to adore and it's just saying you are God second confession very simple I am not God you say it again confession I am not God 
forgive me for taking my life in my own hands. Forgive me for thinking that I'm God. Forgive me for trying to be God. Forgive me for sitting on your throne as you should be on it. Confession is simply saying, I am not God. Thanksgiving, it's not just a holiday. Thanksgiving, it's not just the beginning of hunting season. Thanksgiving is saying, you give, God. You're a giver. You're not a taker. You're not a restrictor. You give. You're a giver, and you will give. And I'm thankful, and I thank you for what you've given me, what you've given us, for the giftedness, for the gifts of life, of today, of family, of friends, all You give, God, and you give grace. Thanksgiving. And then last, petition. And that is when we say, I need. I need you, God. I need you to show up here. I need you to show up in that family's life. I need you to show up in that family's life who just lost a loved one. I need you to show up in that family's life where cancer is at work. I need you to show up in a broken relationship, in a broken marriage. I need you, God. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. And I challenge all of us, myself, look at your prayers. Look at your prayer life. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, petition. You're God. I'm not God. You're a giver. I need you here. And we have so much more than than Moses did, than the prophets did, even than the disciples did, because we got the Bible, God's Word, we got the power of the Holy Spirit working in the church, and you have these things, Word, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, here now, at your fingertips. Will you take Him? Will you receive Him? He does stand at the door and knock. He wants sin. Will you open the door for salvation for life, life in Christ, life in a relationship in Christ, in prayer. Will you take them? I, I want you to, but ultimately it is up to you. And the way you get closer to God is you move away from yourself. And you move to Him. And you do, you lose your, when you're close to God, you lose yourself in Him. He stands at the door. Will you open it? Will you receive him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are God. You, you know our, our deal. Uh, you know our uh, faults. You know our pride. Uh, and yet you, you give grace over and over and over again. We give you thanks that you are a giver, uh, that you give grace. We, we confess, I confess, um, that I am not God, that that, that we put ourselves on the throne. Forgive us for not looking to you. Forgive us for not um, adoring you in, in worship, just in our daily lives, not, not even in, in song. Thank you that, that you give us so much. And, and so we pray now that um, not, not only would your, your spirit, not only your spirit just speak to people, but that people would, would receive, would open that door, 
into a relationship with you that begins in salvation but grows into discipleship and into a destiny for your kingdom and never ends at death when we're in Christ. So I pray that those who are here would receive um, and would realize that, that we have so much Uh, in your power, in your word, in your spirit. Help us to realize this as we come forward for the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, amen.